Welcome back to the Monsters of Socks podcast, episode three, the first episode with a guest. Before we get to that, Dan, how you doing? Going through WBC withdrawal. That's how I'm doing. I can't believe we just have to like go back to a week of spring training now. I can't watch a spring training game now. This is ridiculous. I, need, I, I needs more. I needs more. It was too good. The WBC was everything that I think even its most devoted fans wanted it to be. There were three consecutive nights of absolutely epic games to lead in to a, I'm sorry, three out of four, the U.S. Yeah, four, yeah, the Cuba. U.S. Cuba was disappointing, yeah. Ending with Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout to win the World Baseball Classic. And basically, as we will talk about with our first guest, June Lee of ESPN and formerly of this website, ushering in a new paradigm of baseball and I think it's like a big bang of sorts for where this sport could go from here. I, I really do. I feel, I, I feel so personally vindicated right now, <laughs> as I've said on this podcast, I, I, I was in on the WBC from day one, you were two, you went there to the first one. And not, not, I wasn't just in on WBC. I was in on in international baseball in general. And for so long, for so long, I felt like I was on an island in, in you know, caring about and wanting to know more about Japanese baseball and Korean baseball and caring so much about the WBC and seeing its potential. And I feel like, like you said, it's this, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what combination of factors produced this this year, whether it's just, I mean, I guess you got to start with the star power. The fact that Shohei is who Shohei is and Mike Trout is who Mike Trout is. Um, I don't know if it's just the star power or we finally wore down all the Keith Obermans of the world or they just started dying off. I don't know. <laughs> But this tournament, for the first time, finally, finally felt real and just showed a glimpse of what it can be going forward. And I can't I, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that we have to wait three more years for the next one. I think also the Trey Turner home run played a very big role mm-hmm. in sustaining American interest in the tournament through the bitter end and showing you don't need to tell anyone how important it is when you see the way he reacted to that the same way Shohei reacted to the final out. This, these people love this, you know, you have Mookie Betts saying, especially for hitters, I understand for hitters, especially he's like, this is way better than taking four cuts on a backfield. This is, this is the best. And then interviews with people from the DR with players from the DR before they, blew it that they said this is bigger to us than the world series you know maybe we get to a world series one day if we're lucky yeah this is something they know comes is coming up and something that means quite a lot to them it is and it's insane how many people like still refuse to believe that (laughs) like in america they just like straight up i think anyone i think there were people pushing against it that fell out of the way there's like the kfc clown and then there was 
Keith Olbermann. And then at the end, even Mad Dog is trying to big up the Ohei Trout, uh, Shohei Otani Trout moment, which is just not possible. Itself is self-evidently amazing, which we get into at length with June. So uh, rather than step on any more WBC talk as much as we would <laughs> like to, and we could. Dan, is there anything you have to say before uh, we get to uh, our conversation? Let's see what's happening with the Sox right now. Um, Chris Sale got rocked two days ago. He's not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. No one should be worried about it at all. It's spring training. Um, but, but, but Devers did not look good in the WBC. I'm not worried about it. No one should be worried about it. He's Raphael Devers. Uh, geez, I mean, there's not. It really feels like nothing's going on right now. <laughs> Bayo's back. He looked great. Uh, but probably won't be in the rotation to start until uh, the end of April, probably. The other yeah, nice thing about the WBC is that it level sets spring training instead of getting suckered into spring training. And thinking <laughs> these threads could mean something. Yeah. With a week left, we're sort of reset to be like, this doesn't mean anything. We just saw what baseball that means something looks like. Yeah. This is not that. It makes it easier, I think. Yeah, that's, it is funny. It puts things in perspective. Just, it, I mean, the start of spring training now feels like it was like five years ago compared to today. But remember like how excited we were? Like, oh, Jaron Duran has a slightly different swing. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> and how worried we were about Adam Duvall. Like all of these things. I mean, this is what this is what happens in spring training every time is you, you, you've been so starved for baseball that everything gets put under a microscope. And then the season starts and you just totally forget about anything that happened from February through March. And that's the way it should be, because, again, it's all meaningless. Um, but you're right. The WBC really, really put that into relief. And I will say the funniest thing in the world to me was the fact that during this WBC final, during Otani versus Trout, there was like a Cubs Royal <laughs> spring training game going on in Arizona. <laughs> I can't believe they did that. I, I would love to hear. I'm, I'm sure it's already out there. I would love to get some of the thoughts of some of the players who are in that game. And just like, that must have been the weirdest vibe. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure anyone who wasn't on the field was in the clubhouse watching it on TV, for one thing. I'm sure they were hearing about it from people in the crowd who were following along on their phones and everything. That, just, that must have been one of the most surreal environments to play a baseball game in. I would imagine that a lot of the people who are playing a spring training game, uh, Cubs Diamondbacks at this time of year, probably appreciate it. They don't want the attention; they just want to produce. That's, that's true, I would, yeah. but I would challenge anyone who has been smack talking to the WBC and wants to continue to, which I really, really would not advise, to say, "Okay, you could go to the WBC final, or you go to Cubs uh, Diamondbacks. Uh, you get to choose. Uh, so, which one do you want to go to now?" Mind you, if you choose the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, we have to put you in jail. So you know, we'll see. We'll see. Are you are you challenging Olbermann to come on the pod? I would really rather not talk to Olbermann. <laughs> that tweet, I do got to say though, was hilarious <laughs> in all the wrong ways. My favorite part, I guess. Let me. I, I guess I'll, for for those who didn't, uh, let me pull it up real quick for those people who didn't hear. It. He, he tweeted out after the Edwin Diaz injury, which was tragic, of course. Um, but um, let me see if I can find the exact words. 
Well, I can't find it, and I'm not going to waste time doing this. But I will just say because I do, I remember the last part of the tweet, and this is my favorite part. He talks about how the WBC is is just a tool designed to get you to buy a jersey. It separates teammates based on where their grandmothers got laid, which is only true of like two of the teams. But then my favorite part is he ends it with "Call it off now," as if like as if the WBC is some sort of like ongoing tragedy of carnage and there's just like other players left and right getting like hit in the face with balls and 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 like twisting their acls and falling all over the place call it off now as if it's like yeah. a war crime going on yeah he's, uh, he's he's saying it like it's a like it's an f1 race on the pouring rain we're like yeah this is dangerous Four guys have already like lost an arm yeah, no it's man. Just... A guy got hurt jumping up and down. Did that stop Japan from celebrating? It didn't seem to, because yeah. that's just a freak accident. And it's just so bizarre. I mean, you know, it's it, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate boomer take that that here here's a thing that didn't exist when I was coming of age as a baseball fan, and it's not my preferred way of watching it. Therefore, it has no value at all. You know, therefore, that's it's illegitimate. That's what it is. Like it's yeah. not legitimate. Yeah. So screw that guy. Anyhow, uh, but anyway, it was very yeah. legitimate. <laughs> it was legitimate. We we did talk to June about it. Uh, I guess that's it. I guess we we are we are a week away from opening day. We will have we're, we're announcing it right now before I even announce it to the other participants. We're gonna drop a big ass roundtable pod for opening day. We'll try and get all of our monsters and socks podcast network hosts on it. Um, check out the site for our continuing opening day preview coverage. Bob Osgood today dropped the right field positional preview piece. Uh, that was the second to last one. We all we have left is left field. All we got uh, right about your Kita. Um, otherwise, we've got positional preview pieces up for uh, every position on the diamond for the Red Sox. We have more entries in our series about things we're terrified of. In 2023, I'll uh, Chris Sale leaving the house without wearing a suit of bubble wraps. Things we're excited about in 2023, um, I'll uh, Brian Bale. Um, so check out the site. Keep uh, keep listening to the podcasts, and um, I don't know. I guess that's it. Do you have anything else? Nope. Without further ado, here's June. We are back, and we have the first guest in the history of the Monsters of Socks podcast. Writer for ESPN, host of Baseball Tonight streaming, around the horn panelist, over the monster alumnus, all around media star, June Lee. Don't know how you didn't Welcome start with to that. The monsters <laughs> Thank you for having me on, it's an honor. Thank you for having me as the first guest. You were the natural uh, choice. We Brian's dog has been on. That's I was much gonna, to, uh, I was, <laughs> Brian's dog kind of looks dead. It's, it does, doesn't it? The <laughs> most amazing part about the dog, which you will not be able to see, is she's on the couch and she looks dead. Get her in an open field and she will sprint like a maniac. She's She has yeah. two speeds, nothing or everything brian's brian's dog is just doing an impression of all of our listeners right now <laughs> no i think my dog and this is a segue is just worn out from that world baseball classic action oh 
Did the dog stay up? Zing. I didn't even stay up, so I don't know. Maybe she did. Maybe she did. Didn't. You really not stay up? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Tried, wait a minute. You're really washed now. You man. <laughs> I tried. I'm so washed. I'm oh so my washed. god. Oh my god. Wait. Wait. Hold on. It wasn't Back even up. that and, late. And and it was obvious. The conclusion that we were heading to was obvious, starting was, in like the sixth inning. So it was it, the stars. The game started at seven o'clock. It wasn't even like a nine o'clock game. Did you fall I don't asleep even, for this? I don't think I made it to eight. I watched the first few innings and then I just oh couldn't my do it. God, join it. I know. I'm totally washed. I make no <laughs> bones about this, but you two are not totally washed, and we have no, to talk washed. about it's this. Okay. I, I'm Dude, definitely you're the washed. least. You're the least washed person. Who? You're the least washed guest we ever had. We've ever right. had. And that that's a very maintain, low bar. That will maintain for a while, though. It's like <laughs> Olympic downhill. If, if yeah. this course is really good before it gets yeah, chewed up, up that first person. Well, we got to talk about the World Baseball Classic because uh, it's, it's the only thing I want to talk about for the next. The only three thing we want to talk life. about. Why don't they make the whole sport out of the World Baseball Classic? It's uh, it's amazing. June, I know you. And Dan and myself, even though I was asleep, uh, have lived some of the most amazing moments we've seen in baseball uh, recently. And I guess the way to start for me is to ask uh, June, is Shohei Otani the best baseball player of all time? If we're talking about like a skill standpoint probably like i don't i don't even think that like that's that hot a take like this is a dude who you pull him just like cut him in half he's a 30 million dollar year pitcher and a 30 million dollar year hitter and then you stick him one to you know together and it's shoyo otani i mean i think at this point like you have to start talking about him in the context of like beyond baseball or trying to try to categorize his greatness like I, i've been saying for like two plus years now that we should be talking about him in like the same breath as like Bo Jackson. But like, even that seems like unfair to Shoei at this point, because like Shoei's accomplished more than Bo Jackson did at this point. I think, I mean, it's, it's probably unquestionably. Yeah. yeah and so unquestionably. he's kind of in his own tier of athlete. Like he's kind of just Shoei Otani. And like, I, I kind of think back, like historically speaking, to like the early 19, you know, when Babe Ruth was becoming Babe Ruth and he was basically the first American celebrity and the first like athlete endorser of underwear and, uh, you know, everyday, you know, things that we get at CVS or the pharmacy. I, I, I really wonder in like a hundred years if Otani is going to be viewed in this like same breath as and like Otani in some ways is going to like overshadow uh, what Babe Ruth did because we're starting to head into this landscape where sports is global. Like America has been the center of the sports world for such a long time because the, you know, the infrastructure around the industry is so well built out. There's so much money poured in. There's the media, there's the entertainment aspect, the way that it's tied together with all the major networks. And that's starting to change now where like other countries have the similar infrastructure. Like we're seeing it with the premier league coming into the United States and uh, just more sports leagues around the world kind of getting more coverage and the internet just making the world a smaller place. And, you know, I, I had conversations with folks over at Major League Baseball 
uh, over the course of the last like month or so uh, for a story I did about the WBC leading in and how the WBC is kind of at the center point of their plan to grow the sport globally. Like as much as we talk about MLB trying to find younger fans for them, their business priority is actually trying to find as many fans internationally more so than trying to grow the younger fan base in the United States. And so Otani is kind of the perfect person to be that ambassador for the sport because he doesn't even need to speak for you to kind of understand how incredible he is at what he does. Like it's one of those things where it's like, you just watch what he does, right? Watching him jog back and forth between the bullpen to the dugout to hit and then to pitch. Like you don't need to hear his voice to understand. Like I was watching the WBC with my girlfriend and she is a very, very, very casual baseball fan. She, she's, she is a sports fan. But when Otani was speaking at the end, she was like, oh, that's what his voice sounds like. Like, it's a little bit higher than I expected. And I, it was one of those I things where it was just like, she still like loved Otani before then without even knowing anything about his personality. And I think that's kind of what makes him this like perfect ambassador for the game as, as we head into this kind of global sports world. Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious as like, I think kind of the, trying to compare him to anything else that's happened at this point is like, a dumb exercise because there's no precedent. And so at this point, I think it's trying to build upon like, what could Shohei Otani be for this next generation of sports fans, not just in the United States, but around the world. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was, I didn't know Brian, you were going to lead off with this question. Cause I was thinking about this just myself this morning. Um, when I was driving back from dropping off my kids this morning, Shohei, I think we are, what we're about to see is this, what he did in the World Baseball Classic in terms of doing exactly what you just said, June, getting people like your girlfriend and my wife interested and, and knowing who he is and capturing the imagination of, of much more casual fans. What he just did with the World Baseball Classic, now coming into this season and next off season, when God willing, as long as he doesn't get injured, I mean, he is going to be all we talk about from the last pitch of the World Series until his first day of spring training with his new team, whether it's the Mets or the Padres or whoever. Um, I, I think we are, over the next 12 to 16 months, going to see him ascend to a status that I can't think of the last time a baseball player will have been as big in the broader cultural consciousness. I was trying to think of it, and I, and I thought, I was like, well, you know, there's McGuire and Sosa, of course, but that was just, that was one very special thing. Um, and in, in, in those cases, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, the, America wasn't falling in love with Mark McGuire and falling in love with Sammy Sosa. They were falling in love with what was happening that summer. Um, and then going back at that, you're like, well, Griffey, maybe, you know, he was huge, but to June's point, the global aspect wasn't present. So like, I honestly, I, I, I think we're going to see Otani do something that, none of us in our memories have seen in terms of a baseball player crossing over into the cultural consciousness. It's really remarkable. I mean, I think the closest analog I can think for him in sports entertainment type realms is like Tony Hawk, where there's like, there's one guy because what I do, the, the question I asked sport, you, yeah. one question I asked you, would you, would you take him? If you are, ha if you have a seven game series and you could pick any player in the history of baseball, you have to pick him. That's what he said. It's not that hard to take. 
It's just yeah. logistically, it does not make sense to take anybody else. And it's incredibly remarkable thing. And I thought, uh, I'm not the only one who thought the way Pedro was gushing over him uh, in the aftermath of the, the trout strikeout and the win was really touching in a really special way. And I think for Pedro also, we think Pe- we think of Pedro as this goofy guy, but he was a, until 2003, 2004, he was a stare down uh, sort of emotionless killing machine. And I think that Otani, you know, you could see him watching Pedro and people made a great point. And this ties into something, June, you've been talking about where uh, you've been talking about on this podcast, but also on your uh, social feeds about how, this really expands the game. This is neither of these guys' native language. You can tell they understand each other. You just look at Shohei. He gets it. He's going to grow in to this role and be more himself. I mean, ask the baseball writer Nick Stellini, who uses Otani gifts or Otani screenshots for basically any reaction he wants to make because he's really expressive and he's fun. And he does everything. <coughs> I, I agree with Dan that – it's only going to grow from here. It's like, it's like if Giannis showed up to 1983 basketball, fully formed as he is now. And it's unbelievable that it's happening. So I, I'm not even sure that is the right comparison because in basketball, there's always the one guy that that's how the sport works. Right. There's all you you go well, I mean you go from Bird and Magic in the eighties to Jordan to Kobe to LeBron. And what we've been saying about baseball for the last 30 years is that doesn't happen in baseball. It's not a star driven sport. It's not a sport where one person can transcend the team in the league. So I don't even think it is Giannis in the eighties. This he's just he's just doing something we didn't think could happen in baseball. Yeah, and I think part of it is there was a mindset within the league that they didn't want like a player to be bigger than the sport. And I think that almost by just pure sheer force and ability, Otani has worked his way into the consciousness where it's just like, this guy's doing what? He's pitching and hitting? And wait, what? He's doing both at like league best levels? I mean... we can throw all these athlete comparisons out there. There, there really is no precedent for this. Like it would be asking someone to be like, I don't know, LeBron James. And then LeBron in his free time is also the tight end for the Cleveland Browns. Who's also, you know, Grob Gronkowski. Like it doesn't make any sense to compare him to anyone else because he's doing things at a level that is just unprecedented. Like, if you look at what Bo Jackson did as a two sport athlete, as a football player and as a baseball player, he was very good at both. He was not nearly as good at either as Otani is at what he's doing. And I, it's, I think, I think one of the things that like has blown me away about what he continues to do is that this was like what he envisioned for himself as like the high schooler. Because he used the leverage of, I want to go straight to MLB as an 18-year-old. And the Red Sox were in the mix back then, the, the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Like, they were the two teams that people really expected Otani to sign with back then. And he told teams in MPB, don't draft me. And 
Nippon, the Nippon Ham Fighters, they draft him anyway. And because they felt like this was the only way they could keep him, they let him be a two-way player because how, what else are you going to do to try to keep one of the most talented you know, prospects that's ever come from your country to, to, to stay in Japan? And the, the fact that he had this like vision for what he wanted to do and the fact that he believed in himself enough to do it, I think is absolutely fascinating. Like there was, I was looking up a, an exercise chart that he, he, he had put together when he was a, a younger player where it was basically his like productivity routine where he had like a, a chart of like 40 things. Uh, and it was like, you know, work on, uh, you know, moving your hips first when you're swinging. And, and it was also combined with like another box that said like, making making sure that you're grateful and also like accepting love in your life because like he's clearly thinking about this from a very like holistic perspective where he knows that like if he accomplishes everything he wants to accomplish as a baseball player he's going to be completely you know thrown with the love and adoration of people that is never before seen in this sport and i think and he just, seems like, yeah he seems to be okay with that and want that which is right. which is so refreshing in baseball, right? And so, like all of that is just there's a vision here. This doesn't happen without some 16 year old Shohei Otani sitting in bed one day, being like, "What could what do I what could I really do in baseball? You know, if I if I really had my go of it." And him figuring out a way to actually make it happen is incredible. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask an even more audacious question than Joiners. Is he the greatest baseball player of all time? Because I, I I'm I'm with you, Jen. I, I'm already I, I already say he is. Um, I you know it's it does sound outrageous to say that, but I, he just doesn't compare to anybody. So let me ask you this: If if Shohei Otani is the greatest player of all time, and if Mike Trout also has an argument as the greatest player of all time, which I think he's, he certainly does. His argument sort of rests on the idea that, you know, uh, we know that modern athletes are better than athletes of the past. And if you look at Trout and he has essentially the same skill set as Willie Mays and the same statistical production as Mickey Mantle, um, but he's doing it 60 years later, then he's the best. So if you have possibly the two best players of all time, and if they are teammates and then they find themselves facing each other with two outs in the bottom of the ninth in a one-run game with a trophy on the line, a trophy that now basically everyone in the baseball world outside of America now acknowledges is, is the most important competition to them. Was the Otani Trout at bat last night the greatest moment in baseball history? <laughs> this is something I've been thinking Was about. Was it? <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things I've been thinking about over the course of the last day, and I think it, I think we have to wait for history to play out, but I think it has the potential to get there because we have to see Otani's career play out, and we also have to see Trout's career play out, and I think whatever happens with the rest of their careers is going to recontextualize that moment, but I think in the immediate future, it's an at-bat that's going to change the business of baseball forever because you had people around the world tuning in, seeing the two best players in the world. This is the only possible situation that this could have happened because those guys are teammates. And mm -hmm. it was with two outs in the ninth inning. Like it was as corny a sports moment as you could possibly get, which is like always makes for the greatest sports. It's impossible that it happened. I still can't believe it happened. It was just like right. full count, full count too. Full it was count. a full count. It was a three, two, two outs, ninth inning, one run game. Like, it was incredible. And so when you consider all of those things, like 
I think if MLB is successful in growing the popularity of its league internationally, this will be the moment that began all this change because people have been talking about how have a very this very cynical lens towards the World Baseball Classic. I think ahead of this event, you know, I had editors, you know, even before I I wrote the story about how this was the most important WBC ever that were kind of skeptical about the angle, but they went with it because I had enough reporting from players and executives that kind of supported it. And by the end of the WBC, they're like, "Oh yeah, I like I much clearly, much more clearly understand what you were trying to say because it's a moment where." You don't need anyone speaking anything, right? The drama of the moment speaks for itself. And there's going to be kids out there who see that moment where you see a guy who pitches and hits, pitching against the best hitter of this generation, and they're going to want to play baseball. They're going to want to tune into a a game of their local team. Like that kind of stuff is not just happening in the United States now, but it's happening around the world because WBC got better ratings internationally way more so than it did in the u.s and i think one of the most interesting things that was a part of this wbc was when you looked at the numbers on social media which is where everyone under the age of 30 is and and is how they're consuming sports 13 million people saw that clip of the final out between Shohei otani and mike trout if you compare that to the final out of the houston astros winning the world series they got around a million like it's not even the same universe and so when you think about it from that perspective, the global reach that this event could potentially have, this could be the turning point because there's going to be peer pressure now with Mike Trout going to every single top tier elite starting pitcher and reliever being like, why aren't you playing in this event? Like, yeah. why aren't you playing for Team USA? Well, that I mean, I feel like that that's the next part of the conversation is that Major League Baseball just needs to stop fucking around and either put this thing in July or just, or just bump it and put it in April and get rid of the pitching restrictions. So, like so it, I, have I have a little it. bit more context for this. So they've tried to, they, they've explored every option from end of the season to mid season to beginning of the season. The reason why the mid season tournament doesn't happen is because the rest of the leagues are having a hard time with logistics and potential lost revenue because they're investing all of their players into the, they would have to invest all their players stopping their league. And for them, the, the, the payoff isn't necessarily worth it. And so it, it, it's, there's similar issues on the, on the MLBs and the MLB players union from what I've heard from my sources, they're into, into the idea of a mid season tournament, but logistically around the league, it's much tougher. I've heard that the, the conversation with the Asian leagues and the logistics it would take make the conversation much more difficult. Does that seem like something that could, uh, as the WBC grows, I don't know if there's, I know it's been renewed and it's going to, ha- I mean, it has to happen again. Obviously it's amazing. If there's any talk about making it like a best two of three final or whatever, but yeah. I hate that idea. I don't like that idea, idea either. Personally. I love that yeah. idea. Sorry. Wrong. Both of you. No, oh, here, here's no. the other thing. This dovetails with something. June posted a TikTok where, and this isn't to go after Madden Dog specifically, but he was saying, "Why? What's that at bat? Like, is it Gibson uh, versus Eckersley? It's like, well, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, like the two. It's have, more than that. It's more than that. But it's also. But here's my thing. Do you believe your eyes? Do you believe your ears? The, the Otani, his celebration, the thing it reminds me the most of by far, 
is Brandy Chastain at the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, the first one. This wasn't the first, but like the pure 99, yeah. Pure uh overwhelming joy and excitement, especially for a guy who's so stone-faced all the time. If you aren't reacting to that, that is plainly a you problem. It, it's I think the more WBC the merrier, but uh, and 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 just to give a little bit of credit to Major League Baseball, this is their operation. So this has paid off. This has not always been. It was a long game. It's been a really a long, long game that they've played it, here. I mean, it's, look, Connor McDavid. When was saying we need something like that in our sport? When was the last time you saw any athlete in any other sport being like, we need what baseball's got? And you know what's crazy? Baseball's actually ahead of every other sport on this. Like, we always talk about how baseball is behind in terms of reaching that international market. They started this in 2006. This was way mm-hmm. before anyone is thinking about the global sports market uh, and how they could reach those fans. And it's only paid off. I mean, it went down. They could have canceled this event before the U.S. won for the first time because there was an interest in the United States, even though there was interest globally. And they stuck to it, and now they're starting to see the benefits and the rewards of this where you know, there's always a calm before the storm. I I really think, and you pointed out Otani's pure, unadulterated joy, that joy is going to translate to the fans, right? It is a symbiotic relation where like if the players care that much, the fans are also going to care more and more. And when American fans see, oh my God, Shoei Otani, the greatest player in our game today, cares way more about this than every single American player. We have to care more about this because look at how much Shoei Otani cares about this. Like, it's it's like that thing where it's like, people don't want something until they realize everyone else wants it. Like, that's exactly what the WBC is. And when everyone sees... Shoei Otani, the you know the prettiest girl in class, suddenly is attracted to you know Pete Davidson, the World Baseball Classic. Like <laughs> that's that's what happens, you know. <laughs> that's great, and I mean, June, and you use this. You also talked about this, and this is a great point. I think dovetails with a little Red Sox talk because Yoshida was incredible. That this whole tournament about how this is starting to erase the myth that other leagues cannot have players on any sort of significant level as good as Major League Baseball. You know what's crazy? For years, and with Otani specifically, we heard Otani can't be a hitter because the Japanese league doesn't have velocity. The Japanese team threw more 100-mile-per-hour fastballs than any other team in this tournament. They had the best velocity in this tournament, way more so than the United States. So we have to get rid of these like preconceived notions that a lot of American fans have, and sometimes that I fall into myself as a Korean-American fan. Like We have to get rid of those because the talent level in some of these leagues around the world is very, very good. And just because we don't get to see them on a day-to-day basis doesn't mean that they're a quadruple-A league. Like... And like the, the MPB has produced some incredible baseball players and people didn't believe Otani could do this in the United States because the MPB plays uh, fewer games and they believe the talent level was less. Guess what? Otani is doing exactly the same thing that he was doing in the MPB in Major League Baseball. And now yeah. Sasaki has established himself as the number one prospect i would have around the world between pitchers and hitters around the world period. don't even don't even call him a prospect see that's like that's that's part of the problem last year that's part of the problem you shouldn't even call him a prospect like at the start of the offseason 
um, I wrote a piece for Over the Monster, and it was called um, Here are some Kodai Senga highlights to help you pretend you know something about Kodai Senga. Um, and I caught some flack in the comments section a little bit because I really started that piece with a giant rant about Americans' attitudes towards the Japanese and Korean leagues because we ignore them entirely until a guy decides to come over. And in doing so, like we're basically saying like these leagues only justify their own existence to the extent that they serve ours. Um, and it's, and it's ridiculous because look, if, if you, if you think Shohei Otani is the best player in the world, as I think we all just agreed and, and decreed that he is, then you got to acknowledge that guess what? In 2016, the best player in the world wasn't playing in Major League Baseball. And Roki Sasaki, you know, is I, – I, I'm not exactly sure where he is in the current list of best pitchers, but I called him in a piece yesterday the best young pitcher in the world. I think you can't argue that. Maybe maybe if Hunter Green puts something together this year, who knows. Um, but no one else is doing what he's doing as a 21-year-old. He's maybe a top 10 pitcher right now. So we shouldn't even call him a prospect. We should just say Roki Sasaki is one of the best pitchers in the world, and he plays for the Chibalote Marines. And then, it, like, and part of this too. I mean, I wish. Look, part of it. It's so damn hard for us to watch Japanese and Korean baseball. And I do wish that I do wish that the, that the NPB and KBO would be a little bit more aggressive in marketing their game. Um, I actually once for a work thing years ago, I, I ended up, I was at like a luncheon and I was next to a lawyer who worked at the KBO uh, headquarters. Um, and I talked her ear off for a half an hour and I, I was trying to argue to her that there was a market for the KBO in the United there States. Is. There, there is. <laughs> there I think there, and it's not, look, it's not a huge one, but I was telling her, I, you know, I'm talking about, I'm telling her about how the bat flip viral, you know, videos go viral. I'm telling her about like nerds like me who are up in the morning and just like, if there's a live baseball game on at eight o'clock, I will watch that. And she scoffed at the idea. She, she laughed at me. She's like, you're crazy. That she's, you know, that, 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 you know, they themselves just didn't, don't think, or at least at the time, didn't think they would have a chance to, to, to appeal to American audiences. Maybe after 2020, things are a little bit different, but it would be nice. I mean, it's anyone who's tried, anyone who's tried to stream an NPB or a KBO game knows how hard it is. The streaming is kind of decentralized. Some of the, in some cases, like each team has their own site. They may not have English language websites. Um, so I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive in marketing to us as well. Uh, yeah, but yeah I, I totally agree. And that actually reminds me of like a similar dynamic that actually centered around K-pop over the course of the last like 20 years when Korean music and a lot of other international music was trying to market to the United States. And a lot of people within those, uh, you know, I remember within Korea, people were like, who America's never going to listen to this. Like this is Korean music. Like they don't understand this. And like it worked. And I think that like seeing the success of the KBO during the pandemic, like that was really crazy. And just seeing like people willing to wake up at like four or five in the morning. Yes. We were all like deeply traumatized by what was happening in the world because we couldn't go outside, but like people really cared about that league for a couple months in the United States. And like, there's still people who like hit me up about like, Hey, how can I watch more KBO stuff? It's like, there's not really a way to do it in the United States. And 
I think that this is one of the things that I think is going to change over the course of the next 10 years as baseball migrates and, and not just major league baseball, but like football, basketball, hockey, like all these major sports migrate more to streaming. You know, the Apple, the Apple game is available internationally. Um, you know, MLB TV is obviously uh, an ex expensive subscription service, but eventually we're going to get to a point where all these sports games are on streaming services that can be accessible around the world. And hopefully, you know, we, we see kind of these leaves grow in, in a way that like makes the game much more of an international conversation. And if that happens, the other leagues are going to see that, that success and they're going to try to do the opposite because like the premier league has su successfully done, even though that there was, you know, there's been pushback for the last 10, 15 years. So I, I think that there's going to be a future for that at some point, but we're going to need to get to a point where this like paradigm totally shifts where we're in this cable bundle model. And it's starting to fall apart given we're seeing everything happening with Bali Sports. Yeah. And we're just turning to into a streaming bundle model now. Right. And, and it's turning into a streaming bundle model. And we're gonna see we're, we're gonna see what it eventually turns into. But uh it's gonna take some time. But I think when eventually that does happen, um, we're gonna be in a place where I'm gonna be able to talk to someone in Germany who cares about the New England Patriots and they're gonna understand like that uh, I don't know, like James Devlin is like it was one of the best fullbacks in the NFL. I know that's like slightly outdated, but like you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I think the the important part too is that, as June you said, Major League Baseball does have the international fingerprint uh, fingerprint that the other leagues have like needed to the NBA less so because it's spread organically, but especially the NFL, the monolith. Is desperately trying to get this, and then, the, but the flip side of it is that, unlike in Major League Baseball, which one of the criticisms of the WBC is like, well, then the 162 season doesn't matter. It's like, no, it matters, and this matters, but it matters in a different way. They're the laboratories of baseball, and every country except for us. June Dan has talked about on this podcast going to a game in Korea. I went to the first. World Baseball Classic, I went to the semifinals. I went to Japan versus Korea. That's the most fun I've ever had at a baseball game. Every other country, virtually, has a blast at their games. <laughs> and that's something that, as the talent level rises to a point where it's sustainable, that's such a superior product to, like, Diamondbacks Pirates in August. I was not I was, against that. But, I was talking know, to an agent yesterday. And I asked him just like what his biggest takeaway was looking at the WBC, and he was like, "American fans are bummers compared to everyone." Else <laughs> we are. The world. It's true. We are. We absolutely are. Like this has been something. I mean, it's it it ticks me off so much. And it's like, and we see this footage from Taiwan and from Korea, and you know, and we just it, it's like, well we kind of we enjoy it but we for for whatever reason we don't just say why not here we don't do that we just don't make that next leap <laughs> and i have to say the owners are not doing themselves a favor with uh a lot of them employing players who are i think arguably is this the john for, for cost saving reason to, that are worse than the players in the Japanese league. I, I'm oh. no longer convinced that every team in Major League Baseball is making a good faith effort to actually put out a team in an absolute level better than teams in Japan. And uh, just to follow back up, 
June said that the Sox had been in on Otani when he was 18. The Red Sox spent money? Is that a thing that, <laughs> that, a thing that happened? Yeah. That was a, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Good time to be a Red Sox fan back then. There's still, just uh, for all the angry people listening, we all need to acknowledge, yes, they still do spend money, but they're not going to be in on Otani next offseason. We all know that, right? No, they – look – Dan and I were very pro the Yoshida signing based on the main criticism being, oh, they overpaid. But June, your point that the talent level is rising over there and combined with the point that it wasn't that they, they overpaid compared to consensus. I remember right when they signed the deal within 12 hours, this was like a, when Lamar Jackson said he he wanted to, or when they offered the fran, non-exclusive franchise tag to Lamar Jackson, five minutes later, Schefter's like, well, these teams don't want it. And um, Yoshida's value in the baseball community was apparently a very <laughs> set deal and the Red Sox went and did a, like a mini Steve Cohen and just overpaid to make sure they got it. It wasn't close. But the, the consensus is based on nothing, and if it and if he's as good as he looked, if he's half as good as he looked in the WBC, he'll be worth it. So all these things work together, and like the Red Sox being prudent financially and choosing not to be in this one case according to the league standards uh, does actually make me confident a little bit in the way the Red Sox are going, which is a strange way for me to feel these days. So I think the Red Sox are walking a really fine line right now where Haim is definitely feeling the heat and he needs everything to go right this year. And everything going right still means like at best 90 wins. Like that's the most optimistic that you could be. And then once you get to the playoffs, like anything could happen. But like you need Bayo, Whitlock, like Devers, you need Justin Turner, you need Kike Hernandez, you need every single reliever in that bullpen, yeah. you need Yoshida, you need all those guys to hit. You need Beaver's 2021 to happen again. Yeah, you need Verdugo to step the- forward. Like, you need everything to go right. And, like, that's a really, really tall task. Not saying that it can't happen, um, but it's a lot. And I think that, like, you, I still think back to last offseason when the team didn't do anything to address the bullpen. And it was it was one of those things where this, this is very uncharacteristic for a Boston front office over the course of the last two decades. Is you go to the playoffs and then you don't do anything to improve the biggest weak point of the team going into the next season. I think it's a huge reason why they fell apart last year on top of the injuries. And it's just a really risky proposition. And I, I re- actually really respect Himes' willingness to go all in on a guy like Yoshida, like putting his all of his chips on the table, being like, this guy's going to exceed this $100 million uh, value, which some people in baseball think is already an overpay. But they think he's going to be like a three to five win player. And if he's a three to five win player consistently over the course of that entire deal, that will be a good deal. But the thing is, like, that might not be enough to save Himes' job this season and like that is a really tough spot to be in needing like every every single one of your young prospects to hit and because like even ben sherrington or theo epstein that didn't happen for them either you know 
I mean, I think I am, I've said this and you would know better than, than I, that uh, was basically all the evidence to me points to the fact that at the beginning they were like, okay, this is going to be something like a five-year rebuild. This would be year four. If you, if you count by that. And when I view it for that lens, everything sort of makes sense. But what you're saying, what is just plainly true is that John Henry, who's really impulsive and has been really impulsive for 20 years, seems to have slowed down a bit, but he's still him. He's still John he Henry. Still doesn't, right. He still doesn't want people. I mean, do you have, have, did you do any reporting on whether it was a coincidence that the day after the hockey game, they signed Raphael there? So the team was planning on really raising that offer. So when the winter readings was happening in Devers and Bogarts were apart, uh, I reported that there were galaxies apart. That amount was a hundred million dollars. They were a hundred million dollars apart. And over the course of two weeks, they closed that gap and then some. And so it's one of those things where yes, that like was part of it probably in terms of the public pressure. Henry has historically been very sensitive to, you know, fans reacting to him negatively to that degree. Um, but here's the thing. I remember when Heim came into Boston, he was very set on this like five-year rebuild. And the thing that I was always worried about is like, it might be four because like the fans are going to get angry. This is Boston and John Henry is always impulsive. Like he's always willing to cut things off a step earlier than anyone else, especially when the fan reaction gets very, very negative. And so. Well, I they think keep insisting it's not a rebuild. <laughs> That's right. part of the problem. They keep insisting that it isn't a five-year rebuild, rebuild, even though all of their actions indicate that it clearly is. And so that. 2021 that through is... such, through such a wrench into it, because, you know, Sam Kennedy will say 2021. If you get yeah. within 10 feet of him, he'll just start saying 2021. Yeah. But the problem is that they need that year, as June was saying, they need that year now. Yeah. They, like, and they got their it messaging, years ago, fine, but they need it now. And their messaging is, is it could end up forcing them into a corner this year where, you know, we've talked about, look, I, I like this team. I think this team is going to finish over 500 this year. I think they have a shot to make the playoffs because the expanded playoffs can let all sorts of mediocre teams in. Um, but there's still a scenario where this team is in last place on Memorial Day and the Celtics and the Bruins are in the finals <laughs> and nobody's talking about the Red Sox and nobody's shown up at Fenway Park. And because, again, because the Red Sox have been messaging that, no, this is not a rebuild. Yes, we are trying to win every year where they might be, you know, if – if the pitchforks are out for the Red Sox, John Henry doesn't want to take that pitchfork. So he's going to take Hein Bloom and say, okay, here you go, buddy. He's a sacrificial lamb and he'll be gone. Yeah. I think that's spot on <laughs> personally. It's uh, it's not what you want, but it's better. I I'm over most of the obvious rebuild type shenanigans. Yeah, I, I do think it's, bittersweet that june ran through a whole list of players that are important for the Sox to win this year and he didn't say chris sale it's so, <laughs> it's so sad yeah it's so sad because nobody thinks it's gonna happen it's just i do i do i think it's going oh, to happen true. i am on record i think i think he's going to finish in the top 10 say i'm voting this year 
All right. Really Are you ready to answer some questions? Let's do it. Are we Let's moving to the hot seat already? We're moving to the hot seat. Okay. Already. It's this, in 40 this, minutes. Is it 40 minutes in? Okay. I, I, I could talk about the World Baseball Classic for the next three days if we want to. Um, all right. Have we settled on a name, Joiner? Monster Seats Hot Seat? Is that where we're going with? No, we're, we're, we're going to work on that. Okay. All right. Ready, June? Let's do it. First question. If we hand you a wiffle ball bat right now, you may have one in your apartment for all I know. I do. Whose stance are you immediately imitating? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I play baseball through high school, so I'm probably using my batting stance, but I've actually noticed the most similarity among current major leaguers to my batting stance with Pete Alonzo's. I, like, rested on my shoulder. Interesting. And then, yeah. So. Interesting. So I already – I had a, I had a theory that any – any person from Boston who he asked this question to, who is between the ages of 25 and 40, was just going to immediately say Nomar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nomar or Carl Everett, just because that was a really fun one to do. I used to do Manny, too, because I just like loved how fluid his swing was and how simple it was. Okay. Well, I'm going to segue that into question number two, then. Um, uh, in the list of the top 100 baseball moments of all time, and now you have to reorder your top 100 to fit Trout and Otani in there somewhere. Where do you put the time Manny Ramirez cut off a throw from Johnny Damon from 20 feet away? Oh, man. I would pair that together with the time he went into the monster to take a bathroom break and also the time that he high-fived a fan in the middle of a play. I would pair all of those together. I would put those like it's like number three or number four. That's a good question, actually. How do, we, how do you rank just those three Manny moments? I would put high five number one personally. Interesting. I could have Randy or Rosarena credit for like sort yeah, of matching Rand that moment. Exactly. That, that moment I saw live and that was so incredible. Uh, it was. I actually can't, I can't believe we talked about the World Baseball Classic for 40 minutes and didn't. We didn't mention Randy <laughs> or Rosarena. We didn't mention Trey Turner. We didn't mention Yu Chang. <laughs> like that just goes to show how we didn't amazing mention the the, the semis, the Japanese semis. We didn't mention the semifinal, yeah, which is yeah. an even better game. Like that, that semifinal game was incredible. Oh my god, it was incredible. Uh, which again, just not to uh, where we are, we are throwing the hot seat in out the window right now. But this again, just goes. <laughs> I, I told you, I can't stop talking about this tournament. Like that's these great international sporting tournaments, whether it's the world cup or, or whether it's the Olympics, like that's one of the defining characteristics is that there's so many storylines that develop from, from opening day until the championship game. And that's, that's what we had here for really he, for the first time. The WBC. Yu Chang, he pulled out of the tournament because he wanted to focus on making the Red Sox. And he got so much blowback from people in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. And he came back and he won the pool MVP. Like that, that is, is incredible. incredible. He was incredible, and I now I I cannot wait to see you change for the Red Sox now. I mean, he did last year for like eleven mediocre, forgettable games, and now because of the World Baseball Classic, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure I'm not alone. That there I'm right are, there with you. I'm just getting yeah. curious now. You know, there are probably people down in Fort Myers now who are like trying to get his autograph. Um, and that's because of the World Baseball Classic. So, yes, to Brian's point, why don't they make the whole plane out of the World Baseball Classic? It's perfect. Um, all right, getting back to the hot seat, two more questions. Um, give us a restaurant recommendation for the next time we're in your neighborhood. In my neighborhood? Uh, it, like, I could do one in Brookline, and I could do... You could do Brookline if you want. 
so for me, I would say Bottega di Capri. It's like a little Italian pasta shop uh, in Brookline Village that uh, is incredible. Very reasonable prices. Uh, and then in my neighborhood um, in New York, I would say 7th Street Burger, I think, is like the best burger slash value in the city right now. 7th Street Burger. Do you know it, Joyner? Nope. No, neither do I. But it sounds it sounds delicious. Um, all right, last question. You can only have one more drink in one more bar for the rest of your life. Where are you going and what are you ordering? Okay, I'm not much of a drinker. Like I have a, like a glass of wine a month with my girlfriend-ish. Um, but if I had to like go to one bar, uh, let's see. It would probably be uh, like with my friends from my freshman year at BU at Tavern in the Square uh, mm. in Austin and drinking a, drinking a, 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 a gin and tonic. During the bean pot? Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Um, and just saying horrific things about like an 18 year old college hockey goalie, you know? <laughs> um, I didn't realize you were a BU alum. We have a couple of different BU. So I went to BU for my freshman year and then I transferred and went to Cornell. Oh, that people do tend to hate going to BU, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I love going to BU. It's just, uh, yeah, I had an opportunity to go to Cornell. You don't so want to turn that down. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is interesting. Not to, not to get into to, too deep a Boston collegiate university talk, but. My experience with people that went to BU is a lot of them hated it. <laughs> all my, all my closest, I, I you know, I went to BU for one year and I went to Cornell for two and a half, and all my best friends from college are from BU. So I look back at it very fondly, and I got to see Jack Eichel play in college, which was sick. That was a flex right there, Dan. Because if you add <laughs> one plus two and a half, it equals three and a half, not four. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I didn't even catch that. Okay. Oh, finishing early. Well, you know what, though? I will say uh, maybe I could have finished college early. I, I couldn't have. But I, why would you want to? College is great. I got a job. I got a job at Bleacher Report. And I like oh, they were <laughs> letting me travel around the world. So I couldn't pass that up. I can answer why why you'd want to. You go to the University of Chicago. You want to get out. <laughs> oh. get did out. you wait? Did you finish college early too? Am I the only no, no. idiot that took four years? Okay. No, no, I, I did I did my four years. Uh June, thank you so much. What do you what are you doing the rest of the day for uh for ESPN? What you working uh, on? I'm editing a story. I'm working on Anthony Volpe for whenever he comes Ooh. up. Mm. Yeah, I talked to his uh you know Volpe and his family, and uh, it's really crazy what he's going through as just like a person at like 21 years old, getting these like Jeter comparisons, and he's like as hyped a Yankee prospect as there's been in like a really, really, really long time. And you know, you throw in the fact that like they kind of expect him to be the thing that puts them over the top to beat the Astros. Like, there's all this pressure on him, and his. His his dad uh, and his mom are both like diehard Yankee fans. They like listen. Yeah, to he's, he's from Jersey, right? Yeah, they listen to yeah. WFAN on their way into the city as a habit, even before Volpe, like before their son was like on the Yankees, and now they like hear them talking about like their son, and it's just like it's just absolutely. It's like an absolutely insane set of life circumstances for a family. Yeah, I, I think their radio habits are about to change real quick. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be listening to FAN much longer. <laughs> but we'll find out. Well, 
unfortunately for us, we're going to see Volpe this year. Unfortunately for us, Red Sox fans. He's, but he's legit, guys. He Vol- sure, I think Volpe's legit. He sure is. I think he is what the Yankees thought Dominguez could be. It's still, but, but in terms of like the... It's like the demeanor. Top, top shelf. Yeah. yeah. It's like the demeanor. It's like he could be a 2020 player almost every single year because he's not even fast. It's like he's a really smart base runner. So he's like even just dependent on like, you know, being a like a like a blazing fast dude. Um, All right, before we gush too much about the Yankees on this podcast, <laughs> I do think we need to point out that the the history of overhyped Yankees prospects is that's is part of what I'm writing about in the story. Gary Sanchez, Nick Johnson, you know, let's Look, let's like go down the list. If they give him a single digit number, we're in trouble. That's I think he's wearing Are 77. there any left? Are there any left? I think he's wearing 77 because he he wants to be mantle. Like he's it's like uh it's like mantle, but it's like the Ray Bork, uh, it's like the Ray you know? Bork Esposito thing. Did yeah. the yeah. exact same thing. Actually, June, can you put in your story that he's wearing 77 for Ray Bork? Because he's a massive Bruins fan. He wants to be with a team for like almost 20 years that never wins the title and then leaves. Never win the World Series. Dan, to your point, there is definitely a history of very overhyped Yankee players. But like you watch his hands, like his hands are incredible. Just like the raw basics. If you just like watch his mechanics and like how hard he hits the ball. Like there there was a live spring training BP that I watched a couple weeks ago of him facing off against uh, just a handful of like minor league, uh, major league dudes that they were throwing. It was like him, Josh Donaldson, and a handful of other dudes. And like Volpe kept, he was like putting on good at bats and like really driving the ball hard. And it's, it's just, it's like, you just look at the fundamentals. It's very impressive. And then you just kind of look at him, talk to him as like a guy, uh, he's a very mature 21 year old, like straight A student, didn't drink or party in high school. Like his life revolves around baseball. That's bad news for well, us. That sucks. It's bad. Yeah. It, <laughs> I'm saying it's bad news for like us Red Sox fans. Yeah. We'll see. I'm holding well, good news. Good news for us Red Sox fan was June. You were kind enough to join us to inaugurate us having guests on the Monsters of Sox podcast. Thank you so much again and for reminding people who are here from over the monster, you can go anywhere you want. <laughs> I loved writing for over the monster. I spent so much time in college, like watching Red Sox games to write for over the monster. It was like one of the like fondest memories of my time in school. Hey, you hear you that college students do the same thing. <laughs> We're here. We're waiting. I wish I was paid a little bit more, but you know. <laughs> shush, shush. I guess, guess what? You were probably paid more than we are now. <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark knew what he was doing. But anyhow, for Dan Secatore and June Lee, I am Brian Joyner. Thank you so much for listening to Monsters of Socks. We'll be back next week. Take care. <laughs>